I mean, that was the childhood fantasy that we were adopted at birth or switched at birth and our real family's out there. Mm. <laughs> we're going to gonna come back for us because I don't come out tomorrow. <laughs> I still believe that. Yeah. I'm so different right. than those people. <laughs> <laughs> so we all think that there's another family. And so, you know, listening to them, my first, I've gone through layers, like annoyed that there was all this information kept away from me. And after a while, I mean, I don't, I know what it was born out of. It was born out of that word, bastard. And then what was the origin of it? And then as an adult, I perpetuated it. And now to like have the pictures of my grandparents in, in my, in my house on my piano is, mm. I don't even know how to tell you what that feels like. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. If you've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club for a bit, you may remember back to show 48 and my guest, Jimmy McNeil. Our conversation focused on Jimmy's work around founder syndrome. You will hear me reference this in this episode, but during that conversation, I sensed there was so much more for us to dig into and that the research was a bit of an opaque safety filter meant to keep us away from seeing the real Jimmy. Today, you'll hear what happens when bold invitation meets curiosity, surrender, and deep love. And you'll hear from Jimmy the day before he flew from L.A. to the Midwest to reconnect with the family from which he was estranged and somewhat exiled. I like to think of this conversation as getting real with Jimmy McNeil in the Trauma Hiders Club. When you were on my show, just it wasn't even that long ago. It was just, a, no. yeah, not so many episodes ago. Like four or five. Yeah. So when you were on my show last time, I don't think I told you this, but mm. what was within me at the time was, I love what we're talking about. We were talking about founder syndrome. And various, yep, and various experiences and your research and sort of takes on that. And the whole time 
I was thinking Uh-oh. there is a l- <laughs> <laughs> it's, Uh-oh. you know, this is, it's a good thing. The whole time I was thinking this is a level of Jimmy that is that like you shared so much of yourself and your experience. And yet I thought the research is a nice crutch. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And so I wanted to, in a way that maybe I have a little bit of a sadist in me or something, but I wanted to kick the crutch away and have you fall to the ground (laughs) and go to what is real and true for you. And it kept coming to me and you know, I'd have to listen to the show again. I don't know if I lost my path because there was this inner turmoil that I had, like we had agreed to do a show on a topic. And yet there was this thing saying, oh, man, there is so much more here. So people who are listening, there is so much more here. And that's why we're here again. I think it was in the middle of it or it was I was on the precipice. I remember telling saying that I think it doesn't before I'm going to interrupt you, actually. Because I'm the host and I get to do whatever the fuck oh, I want. Sure, yeah. So I'm going to interrupt you <laughs> and say it. it's not a thing that th- I'm not saying that there was a thing that was the so much more. I am saying that you, Jimmy McNeil, are so much more than the research. And that's what was calling to me. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I will, I will breathe that all the way in. Well, do that. Yeah. Because hell yes, we're here again and we're doing it. Yeah. I, I, I ask myself, like, why am I doing this? Why am I, why, why do I feel compelled? Why, why are we meeting at this time in life? And, and why is all this happening now? And it feels like I've been preparing myself for this conversation for quite some time. Mm. I can see your face is like deep into that. Mm. And like, I want to say in that moment quietly, but it's a podcast. So I didn't want it to sound weird. (laughs) So So let me ask you this. Have you been preparing for this for a while because you've been preparing to have your experience or you've been preparing for us to, for you and I, or somebody like me to bring more of you out into the world? I think it's probably a lot, a little of all the things that you're saying right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that primarily the thing that's right, right in front is that I've been preparing for this awakening yeah. in my life. And all of the things that sort of galvanized to that point become like touchstones they're like oh yeah oh yeah and and sort of markers to confirm that like before do you know that feeling like right before you know something and then you know it and like the moment that you you realize it like you knew you didn't know it before and then you did yeah like that nice and there's a part of you that of me that could validate this new awareness right away. Like, yes, that's true. I can trust that. Yeah. I think that's insight. I think that's the expression of insight. 
I, I like to think that it is. Yeah. I, I like to I like to think that one of the the things that I've learned to cultivate in myself is to listen to those stirrings. And, and when I hear those stirrings, even if I don't understand them, to just sort of respond to them. Mm. More often than not, I'm rewarded, if, if reward is, is even the right word, but I am, it's confirmed yeah. in that instant of like, oh yeah, that I didn't know it before and now I do know it. And, and it's relevant and it's part of sort of this larger beacon sort of be homing signal. I mean, if I if I be a, a, a research nerd again, there 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 is, you know, some talk about like people who whose career path seems to to be disparate, like it, it just seems haphazard, but then you look back and you see that they they were marking a path that only they knew. And those are called career anchors. Yeah. What some people might see as zigzagging the person doing it, whether conscious or not, I'm not sure, was on a sort of like this journey of curiosity. Yeah. Right. And so that like, like getting curious about those stirrings and not seeing that as, oh, I have a stirring and that's bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that is, I imagine people, you know, people like us, that could be a pretty strong trauma response, like, <laughs> oh, central nervous system. That's either oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's either like comforting, right? At first, like, oh, there it is again. My central nervous system loves to get hit m multiple times. That feels normal to me. But then there's I call the, it jack. It's like jack. Yeah, yeah. And, but then there's that part of, oh, shit, but what does this mean? And not, now I got to deal with it. Or if you're me, now I got to not deal with it and stuff it down. So <laughs> <laughs> I did a fair amount of that for like 40 years. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting, not bizarre. I could say bizarre, like it's curious. We re-meet. I do this podcast. There was the delay that we had. Right. We were talking about one thing, but really maybe perhaps talking about another and how that was sort of on top of as yeah i'm i'm having this thing where i'm, I'm totally validating what you just said <laughs> yeah 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 th there was something else and that something else uh was sort of revealing itself mm -hmm. in a really interesting and curious way yeah so look at us curious beings so one of the things that you told me is that you are taking a trip and that trip is leading you to your family. And there has been some significant gaps in your connection with your family. Um, but slowly those gaps are somewhat shrinking. So one of the things, I'm, we're, we're gonna get into that in a minute, but what really struck me was your, I, like the word generosity comes to me, but that doesn't sound like the right word. I'm just gonna keep talking and maybe it will. I think it actually is your own curiosity combined. Yes. Combined with generosity that opened you up to sharing with me and to sharing with the listeners of the trauma of the, of, I forgot the name of my own podcast, <laughs> the trauma hiders club podcast. Um, there I go. So what really, what struck me there was you you talked about a beacon a bit ago, you being like this bright light that this 
spotlight of love because there are people who have, for any number of reasons, separated from their family or been exiled. And whatever we reveal in this conversation could be their pathway to wherever it is they want to be. Yeah. I want to build a bridge. Yeah. Your sister and I, uh, whenever we uh, get a chance to, to chat, one of the things we, when we, we sort of sort of circle through conversations and you always are, you're like number three or four in the, in the circle. <laughs> they get to you. And uh, one of the things we both remarked on is, while I really love the episodes where there's a guest, the, the guests have been really, really interesting, especially the last two. But what we both are, Ruth sort of mentioned it first, but what I what we both really love are when you do single episodes. They are they sort of like like little mental amuse bouche. Yes, <laughs> uh, like <laughs> I love that. That's exactly how I picture it. And the the we've sort of talked uh, about um, Encanto mm-hmm. and the, your most recent Turning Red. Yeah, and I, I think that. Disney says because I'm not sure if that's Encanto uh, is Disney as well, but yeah, they animated both are. A- animated films have really taken some incredible leaps mm-hmm. uh, into other stories. Like as I was listening to you, like talking about it was not just that she's uh, it's a girl, it's a girl centered story. Although Disney, you know, is trying to depart from the princess thing, but uh, it's just not just a girl, but she's a Canadian Asian descent which is so like, I really had, and, and my goddaughter, the reason that I started watching it was because my goddaughter talked about, she mentioned it and the way she mentioned it got me really curious. She's 10. Uh, like I wanted to know, like, what did, what did she really see? And I was struck dumb mm. watching it. Right. So I'm going to go back to the question that you asked me at the very beginning of the first podcast episode, whatever it was, I think it's 52. Um, what am I hiding? Mm. And I think that the word, what I'm hiding, what I've been hiding, which sort of been the floodgates have opened up, mm-hmm. is one word. Um, it's probably the worst word you could be called mm-hmm. in 1960, 66 when I was born in Chicago, the South Side of Chicago, in a, a heavily Christian household, Black, African American, bastard. Mm-hmm. That word has mm. floated around me. It, it, I've heard it spit from people's mouths. I've heard it swallowed. I've heard it whispered. And I somehow knew always that it was about me and it was about something that was not okay with me. And my family, my grandmother, I'm the first grandchild. I think I mentioned that before. If not, let me just say that I'm the first grandchild. And I was born to an 18-year-old unwed mother. And it's just beginning to dawn on me. I'm really beginning to process at 55 of what that meant, what that meant for her. And the thing that you said, and I, sometimes you have to hear somebody say something that you say in another way. And I've spent my career talking about your parents did the best that they can and who your parents are. And we forget that our parents came before us and they have a whole story. We think our parents' lives started with us and their lives is 
are impacted by what they learned, what they saw, what they observed, and how they were taught, and how they learned to get love and acceptance along the way. Some of it worked and some of it didn't. So I grew up um, in a very small little area where my parents lived very close to each other in a little community, and everybody was housing project, and everybody was very connected and very simple time even I mean as I describe it, it it was kind of idyllic in a way it was almost like the the pure word of suburban <laughs> it really was a community but you know I start to think like what my what it meant for my mother to be the first in her family to have a child out of wedlock and how that thwarted see the thing that everybody says about her is that she she was incredibly talented and gifted the smartest person in her family and then me and uh, like her trajectory stopped and I think to compensate all of that my family just threw a bunch of love at me and I don't know how to somebody one of my friend called it love bombing I had never heard that term before so I've had this sort of push me pull me relationship between my mother and my grandmother for, for all my life but then my, my dad so my parents don't get married they have a second kid I'm around seven or, or so then my mom uh, she goes really devout Christian seven-day Adventist that's what I was raised as so she gets married and forbids me to have any contact with my dad eventually that's that's what happens. Mm. So around eight or nine years old, I'm ripped from my family. Just, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Had you been around your dad prior to that? We lived a block away. Okay, got it. Okay. Uh, and we, we moved and that wasn't very far. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to describe this to my sister. So around eight, I'm forbidden to see my dad, but I don't really abide by that and it really boggles my mind that at 10 years old by 11 or 12 I had two more siblings and by 12 I was carting all of us around all of Chicago by myself so I had a had a child a toddler and an infant and I'm 12. Wow and I'm able to get them dressed and take them away and go pretty far I think if I, if I, can I imagine my goddaughter now to, there's no cell phone. I'm, I'm out, I'm out of communicado to the degree that I was still at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, even though I was forbidden, I was still making my way to my dad's house, seeing him fairly regularly. And so at one point, um, my dad's a musician and my mother never wanted me to be a musician. I took a look at my dad around 11 or 12, and there was something in that I saw at 12 that had me go, I don't know if we are safe, if this is a good thing. I don't know if this is a, if I should continue seeing you. And I sort of took my leave. And then for years, 40 years, I've been walking around with this dad size hole. Some month or so ago, maybe two, an aunt, asks me if I'd like to reconnect with my family. She's been asking me, and for some reason, this is that thing about like one day you wake up and it's a completely different thing. 
had asked me that night before I went to sleep, would I wake up and say, yes, I'm ready to talk to my aunt? The answer would have been, hell no. But I wake up one morning and I decide that I'm ready to talk and that this information is important to know. I talk to my aunts. I don't remember, I have two aunts. One who's 82 and one uh, is a little bit younger, I think in, in her 70s. I don't really remember the 82 year old aunt, but she remembers me. The other aunt, I knew very well. And being ripped away from her is something I stuffed for so long. So when I spoke to her the other day, it was like, I knew everything about her. I knew her voice, I knew. So I went from not thinking about her for 40 years to like having, being like assaulted <laughs> with memories. And I, I made sure to tell each person like, you know, I'm gay and cause I don't, I don't want, I, I, the last time I talked to my dad in 2007, that was, he asked me what happened to my life. And you know, he asked me if I got married and I thought that was kind of funny that my dad was asking me what happened to my life. And so I, I kind of said, well, no dad, I, I didn't marry him. I'm gay and he goes well you know if you pray the Lord will take that away from you oh. and I lost it boy I'm I sorry I lost it I lost it and so we didn't talk from 2007 I'm not even sure when we talked before mm -hmm. and my grandmother sort of tricked me to make us talk in 2007 <laughs> I'm learning a lot about that old lady and her death <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah she, she's a she's a trip so talking to my aunt I learned some pieces about the other side of my family and so I tell her that I'm gay she goes baby I knew that I knew you were gay when you were three or four mm -hmm. in fact I've been really worried about you all this time because I've been worried that your other aunt on that side really was quite mean to you and when I tell you it was like stereophonic like since we're using Disney, um, Fantasia, you know that scene when Mickey's yeah. in the middle and everything is swirling around him? Yes. That's what it felt like. Because you could feel the, the, the mean? I could feel the truth of it. The truth of it. Uh. I could feel the love bomb. The love bomb made sense now. Mm. That there was something that always felt unsafe about uh, I'll, I'll stop and catch my breath because I'm sure I'm not making any sense. <laughs> no, no, you, you're doing great. But do whatever, do whatever you need. So I'm going to see them. And the timing of it couldn't be, <laughs> it couldn't be more perfect. Like everything lined up. And I'm a little nervous. Yeah. Not, I'm trying just to stay in my skin and experience the experience. But my aunt shared some things to me with me about my dad and some of his earlier struggles in his life at 17, like what he was dealing with. Mm. And that news as a psychologist, suddenly all that swirling stopped and it made sense. It made sense to me, his life, my life, my brother's life, my mother. And now I'm on this quest to understand myself to understand my parents and I've talked to him so I, I've talked to my dad and the first time 
he called me and it was like a t it was 10 minutes about the, the timing again i couldn't have been if he had called one more minute i wouldn't have been available and i only had 10 minutes so he like dumps a whole bunch of stuff but like it was a stream of consciousness and i just couldn't believe i was i'm on the phone i saw the phone and i went oh well this doesn't happen every day let me pick up the phone and i left that conversation he he accurately described the last 30 years of my life which was odd to me not in its accuracy but in the fact that he had access to it so now i'm like wait my parents are talking yeah huh oh nobody gave sent you that memo oh you were torn from each other from one another but you didn't know that there was the reunion. Uh, I, I still don't know. Yeah. Then we talked one more time and um, he called again and I, I answered and it was like a longer conversation. I have my wits about me and I ask questions and uh, he tells me stories about the two of them as kids. I didn't know my parents were sweethearts at the age of 10. That's really sweet. Wow. I'm going to interrupt you for one. Yeah. There's a burning question within me. Yeah. The burning question is the swirling. Yeah. Stopped. Yes. What moved into that space? Openness. And it was like a vacuum. Yeah. A cousin sent me pictures and I was able able to look at pictures and the interesting thing is my I wouldn't have again this is another thing like the day before I would have ever thought this I've always looked at the pictures of my family meaning my matriarch the matriarchal side of my family and I could never I never really saw myself hmm. there is some familiar familial resemblance but it's not real I don't they have it with each other but I don't really I don't mm -hmm. really I don't really see myself I look at the pictures of these people. Your dad's side. And I see myself. Huh. I see myself and my aunts and my cousins. And that at 55 to like see yourself for the first time, it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. Sure is. You know, I don't mean to be pushing my agenda here, but I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back to the swirling and then the openness, because what I hear is the blend of love and compassion. Yeah, I think that through being willing to yeah. ask questions and to find out answers, I think you have to be a certain age, I think, also to, to even have the space to do it. But to ask questions and, and to start to put the pieces together is a real luxury and I don't know what I'm going to find I don't know I don't know what's to make of it I'm beyond the point of sort of romanticizing like you know we all think that we were I mean that was the childhood fantasy that we were adopted at birth or switched at birth and our real family's out there mm. and <laughs> we're gonna they're gonna come back for us because I don't come out tomorrow <laughs> I still believe that yeah. I'm so different right. than those people. <laughs> <laughs> so we all think that there's another family. And so, you know, 
listening to them, my first, I've gone through layers, like annoyed that there was all this information kept away from me. And after a while, I mean, I don't, I know what it was born out of. It was born out of that word, bastard. And then what was the origin of it? And then as an adult, I perpetuated it. And now to like have the pictures of my grandparents in, in my in my house on my piano is, mm. I don't even know how to tell you what that feels like. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? Tell me, you do know. It feels like, you said it, like it's like being clarified. And I think I might've used this analogy in our conversation because it doesn't feel new. It feels like, or maybe I described it to someone else this way. You know, if you've ever developed film and you put something in a developer, all of the ingredients are there, but the developer brings it out. Yeah. I feel like there was a half of me that was undeveloped. Mm. And suddenly it became developed. Yeah. The dad size hole now has some content there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is incredible. And I don't know if, if age actually matters. I don't know that age matters. Well, that's the story I'm going to tell myself because it's happening right. now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll stick with that. Okay. Yeah. But to have that gnawing begin to be nourished and knowing because you are who you are, Jimmy, knowing that some of what you're gnawing on might not taste good, but you're yeah. doing it anyway. You're doing it. You're, you're going. Yeah. I think I was starting to say, and then, then my brain did what it does. Like I'm beyond the phase of like, they're the perfect family. I just missed out on them and they're going to take me back, give me the other half of the lock. And then I'm going to go off and live with daddy Warbucks and yada, yada, yada. I talk to them now enough to start to see that the same trauma that happened on my side of the family or my grandmother's side of the family, look at that, my side, on my grandmother's side of the family, my, my mother's side of the family, also happened to my dad's mm-hmm. side of the family. And I can experience this or confront this without getting tangled up in it because I'm familiar with the opposite side of, of that. So it's like, um, we can't say it in Spanish, the, the other half of the, of the orange. Like I know this half of the orange, I can recognize it. And it's sort of healing and bringing some real understanding about like what's, what's next. Mm. Yeah. I want to tell you two things. One, I'm glad you said next, because we're going to go to that in a minute. What's next for Jimmy, Mm. also known as James. (laughs) Also known as Jamie, but I'm leaning all the way into this because actually yeah. it, it is appropriate that mm. you're calling me Jimmy right That now. is true. Because that's who we're talking about. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Nice noticing there. Cool. One. So we're going to go to what's next in a moment. Uh, you 
expected me to ask what you're hiding, which is funny because I've asked you that before. And so I, I was going to switch up my question. And you actually, I want to point to this because you brought in the question that I thought of asking you in a different way. But the question that I thought of asking you was when you imagined the idyllic family when you were a kid, like TV family, mm. who was that for you? What, what show was that? Oh my God, I love this. I love this question and I ask this question a lot. I would say that the answer that's right on top is like the Huxtable of the Cosby show, but you right. know, that's not okay pre-shit. now. Well, pre-shit that we found out about. <laughs> Our next guest will be Bill Cosby. We, that's a whole other show. I have to yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Right. I'm afraid that this probably like, Every 1970s show is some part of uh, the family that mm-hmm. that raised me. The Facts of Life raised mm-hmm. me. Three's Company raised me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Love Boat, Gilligan's Island, like uh, all of those shows raised me. Right. Sesame Street. I'm, I'm actually. I just got invited to. Louise died, and uh, that's a whole story. Yes. I, I think I'm going to get to go to his memorial oh wow yeah wow. so all of that those shows raised me but I, I would say that the, the thing the the one that I coveted was like the Cosby show yeah okay thanks for answering that that looked like the ideal family sure. right Mo- moms and dads professionals and talking and Kids who screwed up and were okay anyway, and with, with, they got it done. They got it all done in trouble, not in trouble. Learned their lesson within eighteen minutes and two commercials. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep, and they love jazz. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay, so this was the other thing. The what's next? So when I ask you, and I'm going to ask you, what's next? I mean, what are you doing tomorrow? Mm. and which when this comes out, you will have already done it, but mm-hmm. what are you doing tomorrow? And I'll ask you a follow-up question after you tell us what's happening tomorrow. Well, tomorrow I'm going to get on a plane, leave the West Coast and head to the mid- Midwest, see at number one on Friday, see at number two on Saturday, see how much all of us can handle and maybe see each other again on Sunday, see a client on uh, Monday and come back on Tuesday. Okay. Nice. What, if anything, what's keeping you up at night about this trip? It's keeping me up at night is, and I think one of the reasons that I, that I, I think this is the thing to do, because I'm not sure why I think it's the thing to do except this because I'm afraid that it's not the thing I should do. Mm. Okay. Doing it, well, I'm being really careful today. Yeah. If you notice. Yes, I am. I, you're tender. I'm being careful to talk yeah. about my experience. Yes. There are other players yep. in this story. I'm going to talk about my experience in relationship to them. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, what if they hear it? Mm. Well, what keeps me up at night is sort of their reaction to it. Okay. 
maybe even their rebuttal about it. Mm, makes sense. But I think that whatever's next for me in terms of realizing who I am, I, I, I think people, I've been, I've said this my, most of my career is that there, there's a, a school of thought that says you don't become who you are until your parents die. Mm. And when they die, there's like the, all of the old contracts, the old ways of being, there's sort of a realization that you are the top of the food chain. But I don't really want to wait till my parents die to become who I am. And that may require recalibrating who I think they are and reorienting myself to them both, mm. perhaps for the first time. I don't know what it's going to be like. Nope, you don't there's a powerful force coming stirring within me right now that wants to say this to you. And that is this part about you don't become who you are until your parents are dead. Mm -hmm. As you take this journey, who you have heard you described as is the bastard. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to wait until they're dead to be legitimate and whole and stunning. And I mean, now I'm going to cry. And the radiant brilliance that you are, because it's already who you are, and they don't need to be six feet under. Um, thank you. Yeah. It's like I've, um, I've done this with other people so much throughout my life that I'm putting myself under the same micro microscope. Yeah. In, the, in this case, microphone. Yes. Um, oh my God. It is, it is total legitimacy. Yes, it, it, it is. is that. Yeah. You are legitimate. And yeah, that's that hit that yeah. hit home. And I would have never made the connection between those two things. But um, this is this is connected to, I think, again, one of those like touchstones. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.